0: Welcome back to the podcast, Saul Marquez here, and today I have the privilege of hosting Henry Legere. He's the CEO and founder at Reliant Immune Diagnostics. He studied economics and chemistry at UC Berkeley before attending Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons to earn his MD. He completed medical training at Harvard Medical School Brigham and Women's Hospital, completing an immunology fellowship and earning a fellowship teaching award before being promoted to faculty. He used his experience to develop innovative consumer-facing symptom-based telehealth solutions that allow consumers, patients, to potentially go from testing to prescription in as little as 20 minutes from a patient's own home. We're so focused on the consumer side of healthcare today. It's a very exciting time. And, and Henry has done such an incredible job of being focused on the patient experience that it's going to be a really fun conversation today. Very exciting momentum that he and his company have. And so without further ado, I want to welcome Dr. Legere to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Yeah. So thanks for having me. This is going to be a fun talk. It sure will. So so what inspires your work in in healthcare, Henry?
1: I mean, so there's not just one thing, but one thing that I can say um, is definitely a a seminal moment um, was when I was in the fourth grade, my dad had a stroke right in front of me out at a restaurant. And so over the course of, you know, from being in the fourth grade through going to college, my dad was in the military at the time. So he was um, considered 100% permanently disabled after that and um, had veterans benefits. But when um, the Reagan administration froze veterans benefits in the 80s, it hit our family pretty hard, and so uh, trying to find access to health care when the veterans hospitals and clinics were closed, and then actually be able to afford health care, you know, it's just being a child and watching your, your parents struggle like that was very impactful. So when I went to college, it, it was halfway um, with a sense of purpose to, you know, one day it, try to practice health care and be compassionate and, and just be mindful of the challenges that families with
0: health care burdens experience. Wow. That's a story, man. I, I, I didn't even know that. So at one point during the Reagan administration the VA closed? Yeah, yeah so but it was it was
1: one of those things where it was one of those things where um, the government didn't have a budget and they were playing hardball. And so um, I think that the Reagan administration, and I'm not playing politics. I I just, no, you know I get it. I, I think that the I think that the Reagan administration felt that there were a lot of entitlements that, that needed to be cut. And when you're trimming the, the belt and trying to figure out how to um, balance a budget and get people to come to the table. And so it was a bargaining tactic and it just went on and on and on. So it ended up being about, I don't remember if it was six or nine months, but you know, when you're looking for a doctor and you're trying to pay those medical bills, it was a long time to, and it wasn't just the, you know, the medical benefits. It was also the, the actual salary that my dad got as a disabled veteran. So it was even just the stipend that we lived on. You know, suddenly we were, we went from very, little money to almost no money.
0: Oh wow. Yeah, that, that I'm sure that was hard. I'm sure that was hard. And, you know, it's uh really really thank you for sharing that and um piece of history that, you know, I feel like maybe some of us didn't know, like me, or, or some forgot. And it's worth remembering. But more than anything, Henry, it's, it's the impact that it had on you and how what you're doing today to improve access and make things easy for people. It's really inspiring. So this is a great opportunity for us to, to zoom into your company and help the listeners understand what exactly it is that, that you guys are doing and how is it that it's helping the healthcare ecosystem.
1: Yeah, great. So telemedicine in general – has so much potential and it's had this potential since it was conceived of, you know, more than 15 years ago. And the biggest challenges earlier in telemedicine and telehealth were technology and regulatory. So early on, even if you could get a patient to connect on their phone to perform some sort of medical consultation, in many states it wasn't legal. You had to have a prior physician-patient face-to-face relationship, and so there were there were legal and um, regulatory barriers in place. And then how you actually conducted the visit, whether it was over a, a landline or a computer, was was different in different states. Who could actually conduct the visit? Whether it had to be a board-certified physician, or if it could be one of the mid levels, like a a nurse practitioner or a PA working under the direction of the physician. That also is different state by state. And so with those hurdles in place, It made it very challenging to utilize what has the potential to be something very much more affordable and also something that can almost immediately increase access. And so um, one of the positive developments over the past couple of years is that technology has caught up. So with Bluetooth connected triage devices, so everything from blood pressure cuffs to blood glucose monitors, to pulse oximeters, to devices that can allow you to image the eardrum, the back of the throat, medical stethoscopes, That are Bluetooth connected, all of those can be integrated onto a software platform that can then give live accurate information to providers that could be sitting remotely. And state by state, those laws have caught up so that now you can actually establish a patient-provider relationship through a telemedicine visit. So the promise of telemedicine is just on the verge of being realized. Even uh, the federal government and HHS has relaxed regulations on conducting telehealth visits because they realize that our current healthcare model is not sustainable. And in order to really be able to cut costs, you have to take advantage of these cost-saving technologies without compromising the quality of care. And so at the end of the day, everything still has to come back to the quality of the care that's being delivered. But for simple visits, for things like cold and flu differentiation, strep throats, ear infections, initiating birth control, science, pressure, pain, rationality, allergy, pink eye. There are just so many types of visits that you can tackle using the, the tools that you already have in front of you. And so what we've tried to do is go you know, even a step further and create an entire network nationwide of physical locations where we, we can do what we call enhanced telemedicine visits. So instead of it just being a simple visit that's limited to the information that you can convey either with a phone call or with a video call, we want to make sure that we have all the tools on site so that we don't compromise any aspect of the patient visit so that we can actually get really high quality lung sounds, capture a heart rhythm, Uh, perform EKGs on site, get pictures of an eardrum. And so we've set up these pods that we call um, our MVBox Pro version. And really what they are, they're just enhanced telemedicine visit. And it works through a partnership with either doctor's offices that don't have access to specialists or with other non-traditional locations like a pharmacy where a pharmacist or or a member of his team can be trained by our practice to be a telemedicine extender. And so they go through a, a credentialing process and a training process and And uh, we basically show them how to be a a medical assistant in our medical practice. And then we maintain their certification on our administrative platform. And then it becomes a true partnership. So when people um, are on site in any of these pharmacies, they can initiate a a doctor's visit or a visit with one of our other practitioners,
0: like a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant. So um, it's exciting times. It really is. And, you know, as you think about that moment when your dad didn't have access to care. What you're doing today is just, like, incredible. And it kind of reminds me of Howard Schultz, kind of his experience with his dad. Not sure if you know that experience. I don't
1: know his story, no.
0: Yeah, so, so Howard Schultz, the CEO of Starbucks, his, his dad got hurt at work. And it was, a re- it was really bad. And they let him go. And they didn't cover any of his bills and it was really bad and it really affected the family in a in a severe way that because of uh, that okay. he made a decision that every employee, even part-time at Starbucks, would have oh, insurance. Yeah. They got
1: great benefits. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's the uh, I, I told my sister when she was going to law school, go work at Starbucks so you get health insurance.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And you know what? It's these experiences uh, that that really um make the entrepreneur and strengthen the the mission. And Henry, your your story is, is is awesome. And and what you're doing today will help people, whether it be pharmacies or, or physician practices that don't have specialists. I think it's a it's a great thing in areas like rural areas. I mean, there's there's huge need, and even urban areas where transportation or social determinants of health could be it, an issue.
1: Th- that's exactly right. I mean, it, you, even in urban environments where you may have very long um, bus waits, or if, yep. if you have to walk several miles to catch the bus. And even if there's an appropriate density of primary care doctors, there may not be access to specialists. And so um, there's a need inside the most heavily populated areas, but then especially as you get across rural America and you know, part of our mission is to increase access to health care in the United States, but we also have a global mission. And so we've also been in preliminary talks with folks in India, with um, folks in sub-Saharan Africa and parts of Central and South America, because even in the most I was traveling in Africa over um, the the winter. And what's, what struck me is that even in some of the most remote villages, there were folks that had cell phones and had cell signal. And if they have that at a minimum, they could be connected to a provider. I mean, obviously you still have access issues when it comes to delivering the diagnostic tests and, and the medications, but it just makes it that much easier when you've got the provider part of the equation solved.
0: Yeah, no, that's such a great point. Interesting that you're going global with this. And now I'm a firm believer that contrast is the mother of appreciation. So let's contrast what you guys offer to what's available today. Help us better understand how what you do is, is different than the status quo.
1: Yeah. And so, and I don't mean to besmirch the status quo of telehealth because it set the stage for what we're doing. You know, the status sure. quo of medicine is something that just has to change. The current economics are upside down on our healthcare system. And we just have um, limited access to specialists and in some areas, limited access to primary care positions. And telemedicine, the biggest limiting factor to it being able to be be utilized is the concern that maybe you don't have the same quality of care being delivered through a telemedicine visit. And and that's a concern that we have and we take seriously. And that's why we've put together these enhanced um, platforms. And so if you're doing a strep visit and you're doing it simply by talking to somebody, you can use CDC criteria for empirically diagnosing somebody with strep, but you don't want to over-prescribe antibiotics when they're not needed. We don't want to encourage the development of superbugs and people do have allergies to medications and they do have certain toxicities. So we want to be very mindful of only prescribing appropriately. So if you can actually augment that, that's what we call enhancing the visit. If you can augment that telemedicine visit for strep throat with an actual point of care diagnostic and actually have medical grade imaging available where we can really look at the throat and see are there exudates on the tonsils? Do we see palatal petechia and really get a heart and lung exam as well? It's just a step further. It may not be as good as what you would get you know, with having the most skilled specialist or, or practitioner place their hands on you, but it's something that can genuinely approach that level of, of or that quality of care. And in some cases you actually can surpass it because a lot of these sites don't have access to the same tests or the same devices that we're putting in these on. Um, telehealth pods. And so um, many times you'll go to a doctor and they can do some of the bread and butter primary care, but they won't be able to do allergy testing. They're not going to be able to do PFTs that a pulmonologist would do. They're, they're not going to be able to do exhaled nitric oxide. They're not going to be able to follow some very complicated COPD patients. And we're putting together suites of tools where we can do that at these
0: sites. Yeah, that's uh, that makes a big difference to to be able to do that and reach people that typically couldn't be reached or it's too inconvenient and it doesn't happen. It can make a yeah, big and I, difference. I,
1: And the last thing that we haven't really talked about is this is all great to increase access, but sometimes there's still cost prohibitive visits. And another big distinguishing feature is we have absolute price transparency. And so we are not trying to make money on a per visit basis where it's very much a volume play. And what we're trying to do is really get people to adopt this technology and do it in a way that can be affordable. And and this is, you know, again, just coming from where I came from, I want to make sure that people have access to healthcare. I don't think anybody should be denied access to healthcare. And so um, right now in some of our pilot markets, especially South Texas, where along the border, our
0: all-in costs for some of these visits are cheaper than many people's insurance copays. Yeah. I mean, that's a, uh, that's a huge differentiator, Henry. Hey, you know, and there's seems like we're, we're heading in that direction and Amazon's working on uh, telehealth play. Who knows, yep. you know, that you guys make enough traction, you guys get purchased. It becomes a real big <laughs> thing. We're part of the Amazon um, health
1: accelerator group, which is, it's not a typical accelerator where they give you money and, what they do is they just connect like minded health platforms to try to get synergies evolving cool. to to advance healthcare. And so we know we're on people's radars. And, you know, awesome. and hopefully even more than than being on wheels radars and being acquired. We we can actually hopefully establish a big footprint in the United States because that means when people are using us, taking advantage of us and really benefiting from what we've produced.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you, you know, you mentioned the, the volume play and you know you're so at before folks, before we before we jumped on and started recording, Dr. LeGere and I were, were kind of going through some of the the success that they've had in, in, in expansion to date. It's good for everybody to know the numbers. I mean, you know, you want to share kind of numbers Numbers of you know yeah, where sure. you guys yeah. are so, and what they're so, so, doing.
1: Yeah. So we started out very modestly with a with pilots in rural Texas because that really was who we were catering to initially. It just in some primary care offices, and from that we grew it to a 50 store Walmart pilot in the Dallas market, where we were in every super center in the Dallas market. It was a short pilot to deem success. It was about four or six weeks before we got into contracting for a national agreement with them, and then we um, turned our attentions to the dominant grocery store pharmacy here in Texas, which is HEB, and we just completed an 80 store pilot with them and. I believe March 1st, we roll out into all 274 pharmacy locations um, here in Texas. And and in addition to just this uh, simple telemedicine visits that we do with them, they also have asked us to do some pilots around employee health with them. And that grew into other contracts with dominant regional grocery store pharmacies up and down the East coast, across the West coast, the Midwest. And so we're right now in about 1200 locations and we'll be in over 10,000 locations by the end of Q2. And just with signed agreements, if, you know, if we could actually get our act together and, and, Put together the infrastructure to pull this off. We'll be in twenty-three thousand locations by the end of twenty-twenty.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. For those that are listening that believe healthcare is not transforming, I hope that <laughs> Henry is is and and you know the, the thing that they're doing is uh, is a wake up call because it is transforming and uh, it's exciting for all of us and it's exciting for for our government and the financing of healthcare and, and, and access and, and price transparency. It's truly uh, wonderful work that you guys are doing. Give us an example of how your business model is improving outcomes or making business better, Henry.
1: Yeah, and, and so um, that's one of the things I'm really excited about is that the, the status quo of telemedicine, a lot of the objectors to it, it comes around are, do you have enough information to be able to make a diagnosis? And so just the fact that we can actually show medical grade images of eardrums or the back of the throat and couple that to diagnostic tests. So, you know, even though there are empiric guidelines for prescribing, we can actually validate it with a confirmed positive test or um, imaging that we wouldn't otherwise have access to. As we move forward with some of our FDA trials to kind of step away from the practice of medicine and actually have some approved direct-to-consumer platform products, we're going to be tracking outcomes and making sure that nothing that we do compromises quality of care. And so that's just, as a former academic physician, something that's very exciting to me. On the business side, just from the, the point of view of what we can do to increase access to healthcare, Uh, Makes me feel like our business is very forward thinking in terms of simple economics. As I said, just as we have more and more adoption, and and we have folks that use us genuinely like us. And so, I think what we have. Great average wait times right now. Our average wait time when you're on the platform is under five minutes. Over the last 30 days, it's been about two minutes, which is almost unheard of for a telemedicine platform. And um, the various retail entities that we've partnered with when we've done pilots with them, every single one of them that we've completed a pilot has asked us to at least pilot with their employee health. So it's creating uh, very exciting business opportunities for us. We're, we're going live with Topco's employee health, Pioneer RX's employee health, and soon with HEB's employee health. And then there's a, a whole other opportunity that we never really talked about, Saul. And this, again, is just kind of getting back to my core mission where um, CEOs like the CEO of Starbucks, they want to take care of their employees, but maybe they don't have the business to do it or and, and they're too small. There's a lot of one-off places. When you go to any shopping center in suburban America, there's nail salons. You know, They might have three or four employees and they might be independent contractors, stylists at haircut um, boutiques. Mm-hmm. And so certainly those people probably can't afford to offer those people health insurance. But what they can frequently do is they can offer a cheap subsidy off of a, a telemedicine visit, especially yeah. at the price point where we're at. And so we've partnered with some local restaurants and, and Texas Chewy's is, is a kind of famous Mexican food chain and where they actually do have enough money to to offer some health benefits to their employees but what they realize is it's more expensive to basically send people to urgent cares than it is to encourage them to use a telemedicine platform so they encourage them by telling them we'll cover the cost of it. And so um, we've integrated some codes onto our platform where employers can give these codes to their employees and they're good for a single visit. Hmm. And so um, we're working with a lot of small,
0: you know, one-off businesses just to provide access to healthcare for those employees as well. That's interesting. Very interesting. And another area where Transformations are happening. You know, employers have have a lot, and we've we've talked about this. You know, we've had we've had folks from across the the healthcare stakeholders that are focused on employer centric care delivery. It's a very real thing, and it's uh, cool to see you guys engaged in that as well. So great to to hear that uh, example, Henry. What's been one of the biggest setbacks you've experienced, and and what's been a key learning from it? Yeah, I mean, so I mean, where do you start (laughs) when whenever you start a new endeavor, and especially when it's something
1: that potentially can be so transformative? You learn by making mistakes, and my my philosophy has always been: it's okay to make mistakes, just don't make the same one twice. And having made enough mistakes in business and life, you do as much research as you can so that you minimize those mistakes and and you mitigate the you know what it would cost in terms of development time and overall dollars. And so it's one of those things where early on we thought that, you know, just having doctors and having attorneys that were healthcare attorneys would be enough to be able to figure out what the regulatory complexities are to allow us to go into new state. And what we realized is you just have to bite the bullet and you have to spend the big dollars. So now we have a 50 state roadmap where it's one of those things that I I tell friends and other people in healthcare, this is the most expensive 30 pages that I've ever generated, but it's a very detailed um, and it gets updated, you know, up to the month by state roadmap on all of the regulatory and legal complexities of practicing medicine in each state. And that's still going to be an, an ongoing hurdle. The practice of medicine in the United States, it's not federal, it's state by state. And so it's so interesting because we're all trained the same way. And you go to, you know, I went to Columbia University in New York City, but we sent out doctors from my graduating class to probably just about every state in the country. And then we all have different local state regulations that really are, have nothing to do with the fundamental physiology and biology of the And so in order to cut costs, the federal government actually proposed very recently in the last six months of federalizing uh, medical permits, and there's a lot of pushback from states. And and one of the things, I don't want to get into the politics of it, but you know, it's that the the states really do like to, um, the pessimist in me would say it's a money-making opportunity to to license and credential a doctor in your state because you charge Mm -hmm. them $1,500. But the non-pessimist in me, the the pragmatist, realizes there are some considerations that the politics of every area is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And so, especially when it comes to reproductive rights and the age of consent in various states, those are voted on by the people that live in those areas, state by state, and then that impacts the practice of medicine. Gotcha. And, and just to give you an example, if, um, and this is all, you could have a whole conversation on this, you could invite some reproductive rights specialists and really get a fun debate going. But if, if you're in the state of California and somebody, and I don't remember what that age is right off the top of my head, if it's 13 or 14, if a child that is 13 or 14 comes in and wants to initiate birth control, you are legally required to give it to them without telling their parent in the state of Texas, that age is about 16. So if that same 13-year-old had come in, asked for birth control, and I gave it to them, that's considered felony abuse. Wow. And so it, that's a criminal offense to the doctor. So it's important to know what the laws sure. are because we think you're doing you know, what, what, what is best for the patient and what's legal in one state, and it can be a felony in another state. So is um, what it is. That'll no, I mean, be an that's ongoing a, challenge, and
0: that's a great example, Henry. You know, and I'm glad you brought that up, and and you gave us both perspectives. It's it's good to to appreciate that. And a good mentor of mine always told me, you know, the an expert always understands the fine distinctions. And yeah, that, yeah, that, that <laughs> that's a, you know, Emmanuel Kant said that if you want to think rationally, you have to understand a problem
1: from the point of view of every person. And you know, it's one of the three steps. And so like, you, you always have to do that. And you got to try to step into their shoes and figure out where they're coming from. There's a lot less conflict, you don't have to agree with them. At the end of the day, you should think for yourself, but you definitely have to understand what the issue is from from
0: another point of view. That's brilliant. Brilliant. So what, what are you most excited about today? Well, I mean, what's there not to be excited about? (laughs) It's so exciting. (laughs) It's It's a great
1: time. We are right now, whether it's us or somebody else, we are on this verge of radical transformation in healthcare and just technology in general. You know, being a kid growing up in the 80s and 90s, cartoons like the Jetsons where you see these very futuristic versions of flying around in cars. You know, I'm a little disappointed I'm not flying around in a car, but I'm glad that there are electric cars out there. And healthcare is one of those things. It's the last thing just transform. I mean, 10 years ago, we were already starting to move towards using our phones for everything. We went from you had you had all these separate peripheral devices. The phone was a great aggregator of these devices. So that now you don't have to carry Walkman and iPods and it, it, everything is on a phone, you know, your music, your your movies, your access to TV, you hail a taxi um, on your phone. And the last vestige that's holding out is medicine. And so you order your dinner, have it delivered to you, but right now you still have to go to see a doctor. And so we're finally stepping into that realm of taking advantage of the technology and and the regulatory environment has transformed so much in the last couple of years. So it's it's exciting on all fronts. Technology is catching up people's usage of the technology is is finally getting to a point where the people actually are craving it and asking for it. And the federal government recognized it and they relaxed regulations at a federal level and state by state. The same thing has been happening. There's only a handful of states that are a little bit more
0: challenging. But for the most part, states have have very much come around to realizing that this is the solution. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, Definitely uh, an exciting time. You guys are, are leading the charge, and the coolest thing of it all is that you've got the the outcomes, you've got lower costs, and you've got you've got all of it put together. So super excited for what you guys are doing, and uh, I'm curious, what are you reading today, or what's one of your favorite books?
1: So I'm actually rereading a book uh-huh. that I read when I was uh, on a cardiology rotation in medical school, and it's an old one. It's a classic. It's um, The Good Earth. I don't know if you, um, Pearl Buckman was a um, Nobel Prize winning book on the experiences of a Chinese family in the late 1800s, I believe. And so um, it's one of those that every now and then I, I kind of go down the list of classics. That and another book I get through and then I kind of walk away from it and I come back to it is um, – the Count of Monte Cristo, and that's just for personal oh, yeah. indulgence. That's just I love the intrigue and um, just the idea that um, at a time of of the Enlightenment that that
0: folks were um, able to write even in in a time of political oppression. Yeah, yeah, some some classic recommendations there, Henry, and uh, and and so folks, you know where to go. outcomesrocket.health Health in the search bar, type in Henry uh, or Doctor Legere. That's L-E-G-E-R-E. And you'll find the show notes with the full transcript, links to the books, links to their website so that you could continue the conversation and uh, get more information on, on what they're doing. That's so exciting. Before we conclude, Henry, I'd love if you could just share a closing thought and then the best place for the listeners to get in touch with you and learn more about the company.
1: Yeah. And so um, let me leave you with the fact that right now you should demand more um, in healthcare. You should have price transparency and you should be able to access the types of providers when and where you want to. And so uh, to that end, we created the MDBox platform so you can download it on your smartphone. Um, you can go to the website MDBox.com or just on your phone. If you've got a, an iPhone, go to the app store and it's MD or if you have an Android, then go to the Google
0: Play Store. Love it. Doesn't get easier than that. So uh, mdbox.com or check it out on your Google or Apple device, Android, Google. There's so many of them now. What is it? Three main platforms? Yep. Or two? <laughs> Yeah, well,
1: and so we're pretty much just on um, Android and um, iOS. But if you um, go to the Google Play Store on any Android, you can can get us.
0: Got it. Okay, so there you have it, folks. That's how you get them. Learn more about them at mdbox.com. And with that, Henry, just want to give you a big thanks, and we're rooting for you. Yep, thanks, all. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast.